Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering season one, season whatever, episode eight, uh, entitled The Heap. It's a uh, logical paradox bonanza in this show. It is. All of which I've, I've disliked big pretty fans much. Of logical paradoxes. God, no, I hate logical paradoxes. I just because most you, of the time they're not paradoxes if you put them in the real world. Imagine you sitting in like a philosophy one on one class, <laughs> raising in, my hand, getting in fist fights. Uh, no, <laughs> fist fighting the professor. No. Yeah. this is <laughs> yeah. Shut your fucking poor mouth. <laughs> you got a heap yeah. of fists coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> How many fists do I have? Is it a heap yet? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the if heap, I'm sure. take your I'm face sure. and keep adding a lump to it, when does it stop <laughs> becoming a face? Uh, okay, where do we want to start with this? Do we want to go character by character, or... That's fine. Okay. Uh, we could do chronological, because it's hard to do the character by character with the giant chronological let's, shift. Okay, let's talk about the jump in time want first, BJ because... And PJ? BJ and PJ? Yeah, uh... Before post, or before jump, post jump. Oh yeah. What do you think I was suggesting? Uh, no, I had no idea. Pajamas? Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so let's keep it. The this was the time. this was the first moment where I was in this episode absolutely shocked. Uh, it it felt like a you know a very normal episode of Fargo until that one year jump, and Which, that that really surprised me. But. And I was like, kind of like holding my breath, but like thirty seconds into it, I'm like, "This is a masterstroke." I thought there were a lot of really amazing things in this this episode. This is brilliant and allowed. So why do you think? Why do you think that? Well, because we had a whole lot of boring shit to get through. Um, Like, do you really want to see Gus's shooting hearing? No. Do you really want to see Lester continue to take baby steps towards being the king? Nope. Do you want to see Lauren like shift into his next identity? I mean, that stuff was all fairly boring, and I thought it was so incredible how they could, without even dialogue, establish where these characters were a year later. Sure. And not just that, but also, um, you know, Lester, with like two minutes of screen time, completely illustrated his transformation. Yes, and I think that was... The the beginning of this episode up till the jump was preparing us for that transformation and telling us this is the the new Lester. Yeah, and then I mean also, even the very beginning where you get the spin cycle Lester, yeah. uh, they did some really cool cinematography and transitions and stuff. The beginning was telling us, look, this character has been flipped on his head. Sure. He's been put in the spin cycle. He's come out a different character. Sure, a newer, better, less limity washing machine <laughs> yeah if you if if uh we carry that to its logical less lemony less lemony lester as well that's hard to say five times fast so if you have a washer machine that has a lot of defects how many defects do you remove before it's no longer a lemon uh no and I, I also thought one last th- time um that the whole scene where they have like a 30 second wordless scene of lester holding court in las vegas mm-hmm. literally on a throne yeah with then, a king chess piece behind him sure, on the wall. Sure. Which might tie in, interestingly, to Starvos later on. Do – okay, continue your thought, and I'll come right. back to that. Um, then uh, two minutes later, after he dismisses his wife and goes to uh, hunt down and kill the leggy Burnett in the bar, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the exact same scene, like same slow motion, 30 seconds, wordless, back of Lauren's head where he's holding court in Las Vegas. And how those guys okay. came together cool. and illustrated the transformation at Lester. And Lester has this, you know, some people said like a regression. I don't think it's a regression. I think it's a realization of who he has become. And I'm going to be very yeah. interested to see what he does now. I kept expecting super interested. I kept expecting for Lorne to glance over That's his shoulder and make eye contact with him. Fucking brilliant like, shot. I could feel the brilliant psychic shot. tension of the gravity pulling his eyeballs. That's the whole point of it. And and setting it up by having Lester looking over his shoulder at yes. this girl the entire time. Yes. Multiple times, just over and over. I was like, this has got to be going somewhere. They're taking their sweet ass time getting yes. there, but it was all in service of that final shot of Lorne, and I think that shot was brilliant. No, indeed. I I thought it was awesome. Uh, let's go back to So to answer your question, for, are we going to do it character or, or we're going to do it chronological? We're just going to do it whatever the hell we how, feel like how, this week, apparently. Sure. <laughs> we're going to jump a year forward in our own lives. Uh, so let's go back to the king for a second. Um, do you care to see the king at all anymore? Do you feel like that storyline was wrapped up, or do we need the king one year later? I don't care to see him. I don't need to see him. I okay. won't be displeased if we do see him. And I think that with the um, Sudanese kid, mm-hmm. how he shoplifted for three months at the King's grocery store, that that is a possible tie back into. Yeah. But he might just be over. And that's that's something that does bother me. Okay. Because it really throws – into confusion what the hell Lauren is actually doing as a professional. If he uh, – and, and they did have some more hints about his possible supernatural qualities in this in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I guess I'm fine with it. I think the fish storm broke me. Like if this turns full <laughs> okay. Constantine mo- mo- mode, like uh-huh. black pitch starts rolling out of his eye sockets towards the end and he, and he collapses into <laughs> a burst of locusts, uh-huh. I think I'll be fine. Okay. That will make sense in this universe. I've I've made peace with the fact that this is not Fargo. Okay. It is the Fargo universe, and apparently the Fargo universe has some freaky deaky shit going on it. But uh, that's I'm fine with that now. Okay. Okay. I mean I, I would be disappointed if there was anything that happened that couldn't be explained within reality. I don't think this is a fantasy series. I don't. I think well, if he burst into locusts, I would be like, "Okay, I'm done." He's this literally not the what I devil, expected. and that's how you explain it in this universe. That is fantasy. Uh, uh, if you look back in human history, there's been several times where people turned into demons and they've been tried as witches. I mean, come on, Jim. Uh, I'm going to leave that alone for the sake of our listeners. Uh, but yeah, I, th- the fish is not fantasy. They explained it in reality. It is something that happens in reality. I understand why you didn't like it. No, no. But at the same time, it is reality-based. If they went full fantasy, I couldn't buy it. That's not what Fargo is to me. No, but I feel like this is like Breaking Bad. If they went ahead and they – it became a series about a man who can't escape his co- the coincidences in his life and they all became like okay. these piles of tales. Like this amazing coincidence, coincidence has kept happening to Walter White, driving him kind of slowly <laughs> insane. Uh-huh. Uh, like almost a, a Hitchcock or a, a – Edgar Allan Poe work, then maybe I wouldn't still be bothered by the damn 737 over ABQ situation. Yeah, if Fargo, that's what you felt like they were going for. Fargo, I feel like it was my bad. I didn't get 
you know, I was still expecting this to be largely a true life crime story, and I didn't mm-hmm. expect this kind of coincidences. And um, I don't know, it's not artistic license, but more, um, more high concept storytelling. Sure, yeah, I guess that it's not necessarily slap. It has to be based in reality, or you know, there are coincidences like that can happen. And again, I. I I feel like you need to buckle in for Lorne to have some supernatural aspect to him. I the man I don't caused see it a yet, power disturbance but... by killing killing a dude with a belt in this episode. He's escaped from a a a, a, a basement. Caused a power disturbance when what he do you strangled mean? that sh- that deputy uh-huh. or that police officer in the bathroom. As he was doing it, the power was like went flickering and dimmed. And he escaped right, from the I don't top. Think that he was... escaped from the top floor of an office building where he killed twenty two people undetected. There, he is more than a normal person. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. I'm just saying. But, okay, the evidence it, is there. there. How do you explain him escaping the basement? How do you explain him escaping the top floor of that office building? Uh, so I want to say that when he escaped the basement, you could hear footsteps coming up the stairs before uh, Lester went down there. Like, he went down to the basement and then just, like, kind of looked at it and then came back up and snuck out the back door. I, I feel like that was on Reddit somewhere, but I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Uh, escaping the building. We saw him escape the building. He just walked out when people weren't looking. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there was a shot of him walking away from the scene of the crime, and everybody was looking at the devastation, and he walked away. But how did he do that? Walked out a back door. He came down an alley around mm-hmm. the side of the building. Okay. I don't know. I, I just don't see the supernatural elements yet. But maybe you're right. Maybe that, that will play What is a the significance of the dimming lights as he was strangling at the, the police officer? I feel like it was a coincidence, like you said, with the fish. Hmm. It's just something to kind of just put something cool in there and have it be a coincidence. I, but the I don't coincidence know. implies that there was some sort of, I mean, I, I think when you put those multiple coincidences that it does imply some kind of supernatural involvement. And I'm not they, saying... They, no, you're right. They're clearly pushing some sort of, like, I don't think it's supernatural, but some sort of, like, artistic thing um, where, you know, the fish, like, it's very coincidental. The power flickers at the same time. The fish fall. I, I think they're they're going with not complete reality and just saying like these are things that happen so rarely that they wouldn't happen more than one time to one person. Well, it's similar. So I'm gonna try to say this without spoiling it because if you haven't seen True Detective yet, holy shit, you should. <laughs> it's coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. I think in a week from now. Sure, we did a wrap-up podcast on season one. Yep, long you get time that ago. on the Bald Move TV feed. Um, but suffice to say, there's a lot of metaphysical, supernatural implications in True Detective. Oh, yeah. And then that evolves one way or another. And some, you know, to, to some people's surprise, disappointment, whatever. I feel like Fargo. It's similar. You're right. I feel like Fargo might be the mirror image of that. Where there's similar kind of build up, but it's going to resolve, and it's not. It's going to be similar. It's not going to be cut and dried, and yeah, yeah. like there's still going to be. It's going to be flavors. I don't really think he's going to burst into locusts or have yeah, black pitch bubble. That's in his the eyes. thing. They do kind of supernaturally feeling things, but they always kind of ground them in reality some way. Right, but it wouldn't surprise if there's a little bit more of that flavor to the resolution of this, okay. where we're left scratching our head, thinking, you know, what was up with this? Because because the other thing about sure. this. 
Lauren engineers this whole situation with Dennis and the King and to get this money and yeah. do all these things. And he is a professional contracted hitman. And then that goes nowhere. Yeah, if we're to assume that we jump ahead nowhere. a year and it's never mentioned again. And he just drops the whole thing with the king and the money. So what yeah. is, you know, it's like, so if he is just going around screwing with people, that that's something, that's not normal human behavior. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Not a but professional we, behavior. So there's also the option of maybe the show just doesn't care to tell that part of it. That's like, fine. They, they assume, okay, well, Lorne either, you know, Lorne deals with it in his way. He goes to the king, he says, hey, where's, like... The the guys called. They didn't get their million dollars. They they're pissed. They want it, and the, he tells them I buried it. Lauren deals with that one way or another. He kills him. He that lets would him bother. Go, that whatever. would bother me if that is That's resolved implied. in a way that we do never we never see we never see? touch again. I really? I don't think they can. What if what if they mentioned like in this one year jump forward now in current time that like the king was killed. That would be uh, as long as they as like long as they, they, they have a news report or something like that. If that's fine, they can't okay. just they can't have something on that front move and not tell us about it. Okay. That's where I think I would be very bothered by. Okay, I, I could. That's two I usual suspects that. bullshit, and I, I, that's <laughs> not what I'm down with. All right, um, so staying on Lauren for a second. After the jump ahead, we know that Lester goes to the bar at his award ceremony and sees Lauren. Um, the guy, I don't know if you could tell, the guy sitting across from him at the table is Stephen Root. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, you could tell that. I think Stephen Root, and, and I was a little spoiled by the next time on well, 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 whatever. Don't, 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 don't drop any spoilers. I think Stephen Root is going to play a bigger part, uh, a, a slightly bigger part. Well, I think maybe he might be, I, and this is not spoiler because they don't show anything about this in the next time on, but I think he might be Lauren's next target, I'm guessing. Hmm. Like or or maybe not his next target right after that, but you know a target well, down the road. Yeah. It's been he's, a year. He's so. a future target. Um, well, plus Stephen Root, staple stapler based mayhem. Yeah, he's drawn to like a magnet. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, my stapler, <laughs> and that he's going to just burn, burn this whole casino down. I think that uh, he's he's everywhere. Mm. This man is on Justified. Justified. He's in. He plays Boardwalk. a fantastic part in Justified. He's awesome in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, I've never seen him in Boardwalk no, Empire. That's because you haven't gotten to. I've you, seen season one. Yeah, you got to plow through the next two seasons before September, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's good in that. He just seems like he's in everything. Wow. Okay. Uh, he's obviously in a lot of Mike Judge stuff, which right. I I just love Mike this, Judge but. and. He, what is not this? But <laughs> no, it's not this. But man, Silicon Valley just it had Did its he make finale. An appearance in there, he didn't. No, oh. uh, but man, that show's good. Uh, just you know, the connection to Mike Judge is there. Anyway, um, so yeah, we we've talked pretty much all about Lorne. I think. Do you want to talk about Lester's transformation at all? I mean, well, we talked we missed, a little I mean, bit we about did it. Talk about the biggest scene Lorne had. Oh, which with is number or with Wrench. His yeah. showdown with Wrench, where. Uh, out of nowhere, a Kill Bill reference. What was that? The uh, if you're still feeling sore about it, come oh, see me. Oh, okay. It's what uh, Beatrix Kiddo told uh, one of the black. No, not the black man, because she's pissed that the white girl was called black man, but not her. Okay. But what the Cotton Mouth? Maybe her name was Cotton Mouth. She's the knife, the expert knife fighter that she goes to first, ends up shooting her with the Kaboom cereal box, and then she says that to in, her daughter. In which Kill Bill movie? The first Kill Bill. I believe it's okay. the first kill she actually made, too, huh. other than the, maybe the guy. It's been a long time. And speaking of non-chronological, <laughs> that goes all over the place. Yeah. Um, but anyway, 
it, that was a Beatrix Kiddo reference from Kill Bill. Okay. Not a Coen Brothers film. No. Uh, but yeah, what did you, you had a problem with the bear trap analogy because you just felt like it didn't go anywhere? No. So I don't like the way that they wrapped up that scene because it's the opposite of the bear trap, right? He, he didn't have to chew his arm off. He didn't have to chew his leg off and die in the street. See, I think that was Lauren gave him the out. I think that was purely to ratchet up the tension. Okay. No, Lauren is perfectly capable. Like Lauren could have left him there to chew his arm off. Right. But at the end, it's like the fact that these guys came so close to killing him, he accorded them he a weird respect. respect. Yeah. You came closer than any man ever has. Is is this the end of Wrench? Because one thing we need to talk uh, about... Good question. Is, I think he's going to be all healed up eventually, and a year sounds like a good good amount of time. <laughs> the, the one thing we need to talk about is season two. Because we've seen some interviews surface from the director of FX where and they haven't renewed it yet, but they're talking about that he's talked with the showrunner, who I can't recall his name right now, and they talked about how if they did a season two as an anthology, they'd start over with new characters, but the location is what's going to be to tie everything together, um, that everything's going to okay. be centered around Fargo, North Dakota. All right. So that means it could go into Minnesota. It could go into it could go the Dakotas. It's weird because this is very tangentially centered around Fargo. Right. We went to Fargo once, and we had the Fargo's crime syndicate tying things together. But, yeah, and they had but the basically, it's keeping it regionally centered. Okay. Uh, probably not the same cast. And then there was an interview that came out a week or two ago with the showrunner where he said, "If we got renewed, I would build it around uh, the 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 the, the continuing mystery of the cash." Okay. So if you got those two figures... It's what we've always wanted, right? So Mr. Wrench, since he's kind of a... I I could see them bringing him back for another part in another season where maybe Lauren's not involved. Okay. Um, I don't see them bringing back all these characters. They can't, man. I mean, the star power that they've got in this, uh, Sheen and uh, Thornton, I mean, those guys are high-dollar guys. Right. I don't know that they can sustain that much star power. But we could see cameos of Molly. And, sure. You know, things like and that. And Colin Hanks. I'm sure Colin Hanks demands a, a fair salary. Certainly. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I see I don't think any of those would come back as main character parts, but could we see, you know, some yeah. cameos of Bill and Molly? Could we see um, you know, s- stuff like that? Sure. Could we see a guy like Wrench, mm-hmm. you know, doing stuff in the next season? Sure. So I guess how many episodes we got left to go to? Two, yeah, nine and ten. Crazy that two episodes is to go, and I have no, no earthly idea where the hell this is going. Yeah. I have suspicions on people's fates, uh-huh. but I don't really know what what's going on, which is so a, a very unusual. That's that's a good point to I guess seg off to Molly and Gus because the real continuing thread here, other than Lorne and and Lester is Molly's chase for Lester. She's still on the case. In fact, this might be a good jumping off point for uh, our Fargo file, Eric Walker, okay, the before, personal arrogance fame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and play what Eric has to say this week. Hey guys, uh, Eric here, personal arrogance host, resident Fargo file. I just wanted to talk about a quick observation that I noticed after watching this week's episode. It seems to me that when two characters are paired off, that it doesn't end well for one of those two characters, you have the police chief getting killed. You have Lester's wife getting killed. You have Hess being killed. You have Gus's uh, first wife being killed. Um, 
you have numbers being killed in in the partnership between uh, wrench and numbers. You have even spray tan gets killed once he pairs up with Lauren Malvo. Um, it seems to me that this is a show that rewards lone wolves and punishes people once they've paired off with another person. This pertains uh Pretty interestingly, to at least three more partnerships in the show, um, Key and Peel being the first, uh, the second being Lester, now remarried, and the third is, of course, Gus and Molly uh, getting married. So, what will this? Uh, what will happen to the characters that have paired themselves off in this episode? Um, will it end poorly for for one of the two? And in your opinion, um, which one of the two in each of those three partnerships do you think uh, will make it out alive? And which do you think has the highest likelihood of being offed by the end of the series? Love to get your feedback as always, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you for that, Eric. And if you enjoy Eric's contributions, you might want to check out his weekly podcast with his partner, Jesse personal arrogance on baldmove.com. So he wants our opinion on these three couplings. Yeah. Let's start from the top, Gus and Molly. I honestly don't think any of those people are in danger, and I would be a little upset, more than a little upset, if either one of them came out of the series even seriously crippled. <laughs> okay. Much less dead. Uh, the only thing that's scary... The in last... my opinion for Molly is the fact that she's still chasing Lester. And Lester is a very different guy than Lester from episode one. So just to continue my thought, the okay. last time they could have killed Gus without me just pissing blood was, and I thought it was going to happen. At the King's when he, driveway. When he was inviting Molly to the logging festival and it it hmm? panned over it kept panning over oh yeah, yeah. and i thought like we're gonna see lord at the end of the sniper rifle and this i thought is so be too all over and yeah i would have hated it and it would have hurt but i wouldn't be mad that was you uh, can't flash forward a year later with molly yeah. being pregnant and then being happy except for uh it must be said that this is still bothering molly i mean when she says absolutely we're doing okay, she's got a, a fucking board Full of this stuff still. She's got a and carry, it's been carry from out. Homeland style crazy board yeah. going at home. <laughs> she has a crazy board. And I think that that's definitely something. And she's – first of all, the, all these scenes were a big love letter to Fargo, the uh-huh. movie. Because if you recall, um, Margie's husband, exactly Norm, painted postage stamps. Mm-hmm. Now um, – Colin Hanks' character, Gus, is literally carrying the mail while she remains an officer. And a lot of the shots and about the Marge getting, was pregnant yeah, and being an officer. No, so she's before they metamorphosis, Marge amorphosized. Their whole relationship has. Right before they did the one year cut, when they're talking on the phone in the car, I was uh-huh. like, man, this now feels very much like Marge and her husband's yes. relationship. And then they go a year ahead, and she's pregnant, and she's putting on her even uniform Colin, in the Colin morning, Hanks and it's getting like getting up and saying, "You need, you need some." I thought exactly. she was going to offer to cook her eggs. It, yes, yeah. So I, I was totally, you know, really happy to see that part of it. Uh, but I think if anybody is likely to get killed in this relationship, it's Molly because she's still trying to chase Lester, who is still, you know, connected to Lord at this point. I just can't see them know. killing her. She's pregnant. There's no no way. I mean, that's so dark. They There's put a somebody in a wood chipper last time yeah, in the movie. God deserved it. 
He deserved Even it. Even Lester's yeah, wife. I don't want to. I don't want to get into too heavy of this because I'm very, very uncomfortable saying that a woman deserves getting beat to death with a hammer. Okay. But I don't know that she deserved death. No, but maybe she didn't deserve. But she deserved something. It's also not right to treat a human being the way <laughs> exactly. she did. I mean, yeah. you can leave Lester, you can uh-huh. divorce Lester, but you cannot stay in a relationship and henpeck him the rest of his life because he is not your idea of success, and you wish you married yeah. further. She probably deserved to be told off and divorced. Yes, like Lester should have been <laughs> should should have been like, oh yeah, well I'm going to divorce you, and I'm going to work out, and I'm going to get my confidence. I'm going to make salesman a year, and I'm going to sure. marry this hot. Success is always the best revenge. (laughs) The hammer, no. No, that's not right. But I'm saying in this universe, there was something. Yeah, that was Margie dying is would just be uh, you called her Margie, but you meant Molly, of course. I I did a gym. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, would be a straight up evil vanquishing good. Mm -hmm. And I cannot you know i can see evil vanquishing gray i can see evil vanquishing annoying i can see evil vanquishing you know good with significant character flaws but no (laughs) okay molly's as close as the opposite to lauren as we got in this show and so was gus that is true that is true uh what do you think about key and peel are either of them in trouble maybe (laughs) it it doesn't seem like there's much to go on there other than maybe them looking at the picture of Lauren at the very end of this. I, I will say that, and I'm not sure, because I'm not a huge Key and Peele fan. I've seen a couple of the stuff that they've done that's gone viral. Some of their stuff is really funny. And I've seen like their <laughs> epic battles of rap, rap history, their, their Martin Luther K, K, King versus Gandhi, their Muhammad Ali versus uh, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan. I don't know which one is which. I don't know which is Keel and which is Peel. I'll say the chubby one. Okay. The chubby one seems to be the closest analog to Molly, that he's like, you know, less sanguine about being banished, and he seems more serious about – he's the one that pinned the picture of Lauren. He's the one that is still pinning evidence to a board. Mm -hmm. By the way, did you notice that board had a copy of the – Maybe uh, you're the one that's right, or maybe everyone else is wrong and you're right, the fish poster. I didn't notice that, but that's interesting. It's like an 8.5 by 11 version, but it's right there in the middle of the board um, if you go back and freeze frame it. I don't know what the significance of that is except for is one of them going to break bad, similar to Lester? Because we know they're kind of sloppy and competent. Could one go like, you know, rogue cop playing by his own rules? Um, Maybe they weren't too happy about being posted to the file room. But they and do seem harmless. They do, yeah, they do. Well, I will say that the chubbier of the key and peel combination, uh, <laughs> the more stoutly built, the less bean poly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He seems to be the one that might uh, start pulling at this thread and get sure. with my note that there is a person that keeps calling in the files. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is funny because it would be interesting if Molly finally took Bill's advice, where it's like you just got to let things be. Maybe things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe this FBI guy just continuing to put stuff in her file, that's actually going to be a thread that gets picked, picked up. And she, you know, if she just lets it be, the universe will provide her to answer. That would be kind of metaphysically satisfying. It doesn't seem like she's letting it be when she sets up a crazy board in her office. No, but like, uh, does she need to go downtown to wherever that gray-ass, brutal government building is and demand to speak to somebody in records? Or would it be cooler if... If Key slash Peel reaches out to her, reaches out to her because he notices she's been calling with 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 leads. I think that would be. Y- yeah. Yeah. You could be right about that. Um, 
So anyway, that's uh, I don't know that either of them will die. I guess if one of them would die, I'd be the chubby one because he's, okay. he's the one. More... The other one's just bouncing a tennis ball. He doesn't care. Exactly. Yeah. Although we could argue that the tennis ball is the catalyst of the that re- that um, that investigation being resurrected. Sure. He knocked the the board off the wall. And there's Lauren. Yeah. So. Uh, what about the final one, Lester and his new wife? I think Lester and his new wife are less of a pair than Lester and Lauren at this point. Sure, sure. I feel like Lester and Lauren are inseparably linked by the events of one year ago. It seems like it. The fact that they're in the same cas- casino, the same lounge. We should talk about Vegas. why. Uh, a year from then, it's, it's is it one of those one of those cosmic? Is it one of those coincidences, or of course. is Lauren? following or 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 at least staying in the periphery of lester's life for some reason hmm see if they if if they made contact at the end i would feel much comfort more comfortable saying that that latter is true i honestly think it looks like it's just a cosmic coincidence okay out of all the gin joints and all the world (laughs) uh sure that kind of thing um I feel like there's something else. Oh, as far as Lester and his wife, I believe his wife, I don't even know her name. Uh, I actually wrote it down. Yeah, it's just one of his coworkers a year ago. Uh, right. God help me trying to find... Uh, oh, Linda. So I feel like Linda's another one of those completely innocent people. She's... I mean, the worst thing you can say is that she's turned on by wanting to act of violence versus minors and the fact I that... I think it was just his confidence and his ability to stand up certainly. for himself. I don't think it was the violence that turned her on. <laughs> certainly. But yeah. she overlooked that and the fact that he apparently had a sexual tryst with this trashy woman. <laughs> There's uh, that. To get yeah. married less than a year later. In fact, that, that's, that's, that's <laughs> one... I kind of wish that this is a two-year jump because it's a little hard to believe that Lester coupled up and married this girl... Uh, That's fast. After being married for so long to one person and just coming into his full powers as a male, although maybe that's just what he's been doing. He's been nailing girls behind his her back the whole time, and his transformation to a shit heel is complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Gus and Molly coupling up, moving in, apparently maybe getting married. I didn't see any wedding rings. Yeah, I, I don't know. That that's uh, but who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Definitely love child or legitimate child. Uh, that would definitely be a, a – if it's a bastard, last name is Snow. Uh, yeah. I, that was a little fast. I kind of – I would have appreciated a two-year jump. Well, that's the risk of of the jump, right? Because yeah. the jump, you have to – you have to then kind of start over with the background of these characters because now you've got a year that you you have to infer and you have to kind of add explanations, like very light explanations, not a full background, but – is there a significance to Molly being pregnant, or is this just an homage to Fargo? And if it's just an homage, I feel like that was needless. Um, so I think it says a lot about their relationship and how fast they they went into this. I mean, we we made the the connection there that yeah, that must have been fast because she is very very pregnant, not just like starting out her pregnancy. So within three months or so of going to this fair or this carnival whatever uh it seems like she's pregnant yeah we don't know how pregnant she is she could be anywhere i mean seven to seven to nine some ladies have like the kind of basketball tummy until they're ready to pop pop sure some ladies look big as a house from five months on i'd say if she's not seven months i'd be surprised like it's clearly 
filmmaking language to say that she's very pregnant. She's here. very pregnant. Okay, yeah. that's a good point. This isn't real life we're talking about. Yeah, after all. Because I thought the whole point of making Margie pregnant in Fargo was to enhance kind of her vulnerability in some of the scenes. Okay. And add a little bit of comic value about her being morning sick. Sure, uh, yeah. You know, you think it's about the blood, but it's like, nope, she's just morning sickness. And yeah. And also to show the contrast between these greedy, venial people and her and Norm, who have a very ordinary, mundane to the point of tears existence, yet they're content. <laughs> That's the thing. They There's something satisfying house. about they it. Have their, you know, he's got his two-cent stamp. They've got this child that they're excited for, and they're mm-hmm. going to be awesome parents and awesome people and probably die happy. And that's very much the Molly-Gus relationship. Yes. So it's like... And, and evidenced by Gus being a postal worker. I mean, that's what he always wanted. Right. Right? So it, it's clear that they're saying that they're happy. Um, I, it's not I wonder Easter if that egg. can last in, in the Fargo universe. There's them. there's trivia on the Fargo film on IMDb um, where it says Joel Cohen had Francis McDormand, who plays Maggie, and John mm-hmm. Carroll Lynch, who plays Norm in Fargo, conceive a backstory for their characters to get the feel of them. They got together and decided that Norm and Marge had met while working on the police force, and when they were married, they had to choose which one had to quit. Since Marge was the better officer, Norm quit and took up painting. <laughs> I believe that. I believe Marge is a much better officer than Norm. <laughs> but I think it's like they almost incorporated this backstory into the Fargo yes. television show, and I love that. For sure. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, there's a lot more stuff I could talk about with the one-year jump, but I don't think it's super important. Um, there's some stuff we could talk about with the heap. Well, we got to talk about the one thing we've paradox. Really, the one thing we've completely glossed over is Bill, Sheriff Bill. Oh God! And his Sudanese adoptive kid, and that yeah, whole story. Yeah. Okay, is that another uh, simple man type story that is just setting a tone or a feel? I mean, there was some speculation on Reddit that this kid's actually a scammer, like Nigerian prince style. <laughs> okay. That seems like a shitty scam. To stay in an airport for a day and a night with no luggage and uh, steal for three months to survive. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's then, a and, and, long and, con for and sure. And like if, if he had walked up to Bill in the... In, in the um, grocery store and gave him this sob story to be taken in, then yeah, maybe yeah. he's being taken advantage of. But the fact that Bill recognized him from the pictures of trying to do this good thing, I I feel like it maybe is a way to humanize Bill. Um, I want to say there's a larger story implication here, uh, and they're trying to illustrate a point about someone or something in the plot, but I struggled to find the or connection. It could be the fact that it was so random. Like he said, you know, if my, I wasn't going to the ballet, sure. like what a how unexpected yeah. a guy like Bill is going to a ballet and his wife eats fucking check mix during the ballet uh-huh. and they stopped at that particular store and found this kid and he just happened to recognize him. Is it going to be that maybe Bill is going to be the one that cracks this case because he... He sees Lauren somewhere. And yeah, recognizes him from that fuzzy picture from long ago. Or maybe it's going to be the key and peel that they wrecked. The tennis ball the knocking tennis the ball thing knock- off the wall is a coincidence and random. Yeah, like Bill is this, I mean, he's an idiot, but he's also got this really weird zen way of looking at life that might end up being correct. <laughs> maybe so, yeah. That could be all that story's about. Um, and like I'm you said at the sure. end, sometimes things just work out, Molly. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things to talk about there was a lot of 
you know, really cool cinematography and transitional tricks the, in this episode. Yeah, lots. The washing machine, Trans- the transition to the coffee. With Lester's ex- uh, brother's ex-wife, which I thought that's what they were going to do, that he was yeah. going to complete the transformation and just completely take over his brother's wife, uh, life. Wife. I thought so, too. I thought he was going to make a move. Uh, Didn't. Or or that even she was going to make a move. And the way they shot that with the coffee tables, like, there was a big distance between them. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. So it's like I kind of thought cin- language of cinema that they were – trying to tell us no that wasn't going to happen um there's a, another really great transition between the bed, the bed, the bed and sheet. the stage yeah the, the comforter and the curtain that was fantastic uh just really good i also really good liked work in this. the the flower arrangements that kept coming and uh, andrew t was hilarious he said uh, she's getting more flowers and even a peggy would know how to steal <laughs> Uh, and I thought that her conversation with her dad at the diner mm, where yeah. he was saying – she was laying out – he was talking about – like, well, you know, if I was a smart man, I might say that you're being courted. And then she lays out her strategy for going to Bill and you know, just laying out all the evidence and trying to appeal to his reason. He's like, oh, you think the direct approach is the best one, huh? Yeah. Which I thought was him poking fun at the fact that this is going to backfire in her face. But I, I think it's a raw, it was a wry observation – and her, him giving her gentle advice on how to deal with Gus, which the later okay. paid off because Gus is doing this meandering, like trying to, yeah, you know, invite you on a date <laughs> but not a date and save face and not put too much out. And she just up and asked him, it's like, yeah, especially if yeah. it's you and I together on a date. Flash forward a year later, she's knocked up. You can't get much more direct than that. No, you can't. Gus uh, came right at her. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she she took her father's advice there, for so, sure. So. uh some people said that the bikini shot was uh, – On the wall. On the wall yeah. was a uh, reference to Barton Fink, one of the few Coen Brothers movies I haven't seen, so hmm. I can't speak to that. Okay. Uh, I think we got most of the other references. Yeah. Uh, the, another scene that I really, really enjoyed um, and I felt so bad for Molly was the scene where Bill was just telling her, look, we're, we're not going to investigate this any further. You need right. to drop this because she knows she's right. We know she's right. And she's just crushed by it, by the fact that she's powerless to continue this investigation. The guy who's in charge says, no, we're not going to do it over and over. Yeah, no, it was... And you could see it on her face. It was tough she's to watch. She's some fantastic acting there. And how clueless that they get her a cake in the shape of the <laughs> thing that almost that shot her. her. Yeah. It's kind of weird, like, because I'm, I'm not a Christian. Mm-hmm. I always think it's funny that Christians primarily identify, if not by the fish, then by the cross. It's, like, weird okay. that you carry the instrument of your Savior's demise. And I understand oh, yeah, yeah. the whole sacrifice, all that stuff, but it's just sure, sure. weird. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, if a guy, if a guy saved, like, a police officer saved my life and he got shot by a criminal and I carried, like, a, a, a gold nine millimeter Beretta around my <laughs> neck to remember him by. All right. Like, that's what you pick. But, uh, sure. anyway, what else you want to talk? Do we want to talk about the logical paradox in a meaningful way? Cause we maybe we I made just, fun I of also, it at the beginning. Like, I, the one thing I hate about this scattershot way of talking about it is I don't get to call out some things, but I just got to sure. say the last 15 minutes episode is just masterful storytelling. Yeah. So, few shots and dialogue and they're able to tell complete backstories and make connections between like Lester and Lorne mm-hmm. and it's just so well done. I can't I, I, I wish I had more experience and background and language to describe how masterful it is. Yeah. Just it's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
I agree. And this show is, man, I mean, there's been so many good things on this year, True Detective, but this is right there for a, a freshman outing. My God. Yeah, I agree. All right. How about the logical paradox of the heap? The heap. Oh, boy. We have talked previously in other episodes about, you know, the, the episodes have been named for logical paradoxes in several occasions. Uh, last time it was Who Shaves the Barber, which we completely disagree that that was even a logical paradox in the real world. Uh, Key and Peel here point out how silly this quote-unquote paradox is in the real world. I mean, Key or Peel, whichever one uh, the shorter one is, the stockier one, points it out says yeah that's not really a paradox you say oh well logic and i think they're making fun of the fact that these logical paradoxes don't apply to the real world no and like i said because maybe i buy the premise that that's still a file room when it's got one file left in it sure but just like a heap of sand the definition of heap of sand is of sand it has sand included it goes to zero grains it's no longer a heap it's, it's no not, longer sand. It's it's nothing. Right. It's nothing. That the, if you take a f- the f- last file out of file room, it then becomes a room. And I would argue that the definition of heap includes multiple grains of sand, and that two grains would be a heap. I think if by that paradox, yes. one grain would not be. I think that's a more interesting question because let's say that you have a, a various definitions. You got heap, and then it goes down to pile, and then it goes down to bunch. And I wouldn't make a distinction to, between any of those things. I, I but would there say there is a distinction: that a heap and a pile, and a a a a lot, and then a little, and then a few. Sure, the demonstration of logic here is where do you draw that line how many changes to something before something is rendered something else yes and that obviously is a reference to lester sure maybe even the gus and molly how many Hmm. you know how much can their life change like what's gus going to do if she starts you know is gus kind of humoring her because it seems like uh, some kind of harmless obsession but what if she starts getting close to this lorne thing i think yeah i think gus if nobody else is scared to death of lorne Sure, yeah. If she starts getting close to this and this becomes a, a not a cold case but a warm case, mm-hmm. is that going to make, you know, what how's he going to feel about that? He's already lost one wife. Yeah, that that would be no good. And his daughter's Molly calling died. Ma, her, you know, Molly mom now, so this is going to be he's got to think of his daughter. Yeah, she's entrenched for sure. So, I wonder you know, he's changed from police officer, a nominal police officer to the postman. I, <laughs> police I officer slash dog catcher. Let's not forget that. Right, right. I just wonder <laughs> if that's a commentary on, you know, uh, where him and Molly's relationship will go or how that will impact it. But mostly it's about it Lester. It could be. You yeah, know, yeah. Is Les- I, I think Lester's so. not the same person we met in the first episode. Yeah, the grains of Lester's old life have been pulled away sure. to the point where he is no longer a heap. Um, the, the other, I guess, real quick thing I want to talk about is – Maybe Lorne's situation here. We're we're shown a shot of Lorne. He looks very, very different. He yeah. does not have dark hair. Uh, it's not cut in the same way. He seems to be schmoozing it up with somebody, which is not in his personality, certainly, from what we've seen a year ago. He's very different. Is he still a killer? Is he still working the same job? Is he different now? I have no idea. We'll have to see you next, but yeah, I, I wanted speculation, not necessarily hard fact here. <laughs> I'm paying you back for the Game of Thrones crap you've been pulling. Um, no, uh, I don't. I I feel like the answer to that question will largely depend on what they're going to tell us about what happened to King's money. 
Okay. Because maybe he has decided he's got a bunch of money. He's going to transform his life into some playboy in Vegas. But you can't take the the bull haircut and trench coat look from Fargo and take it to Vegas, man. <laughs> Actually, you could. It just doesn't work. You could because God knows there's there's idiots from the Midwest and else rocking their Midwest looks out in Vegas. Oh, yeah. And nobody really cares because they're happy to take your money. But if he's running a con – on a player like the this yeah, yeah. as a player then he's got to kind of fit in and i feel like that that's what the whole trench coat and bowl haircut deal was about and Steven, the reason that like and, and he okay. survived where numbers and wrench didn't uh-huh numbers and wrench running around you know he's numbers looks like this guy straight out of like manhattan uh, Wrench looks like a guy straight out of Easy Rider. <laughs> they didn't fit into this territory and they didn't survive uh mm-hmm. Lorne is a survivor. He is with the knowledge of shades of green and what that means to predator and prey. And he is able to expertly, you know, adapt to his environment, steal glasses and change his bangs, even with a limited. So you give him a whole year to transform into a character. I think this is what we see. Okay. How about that? For some speculation. That's some good speculation. Mm -hmm. And it's fair. Good speculation. All right. That's about all I have to talk about. What do you think? Uh, I think we should do some pimping, and we should get some feedback. Okay. If you like this Fargo cast, please realize the only reason you're hearing it is because Jim and I started doing this stuff full-time, and we could really use your support. Uh, we've been talking about subbable.com slash baldmove, and of course, it's still there. I don't know if we had done the Metalocalypse by the time we released last time, but I just want to mention that again. Uh, we had a listener, Joel, who uh, went for the brass ring to the top prize uh, pole. What do you call this? A perk. <laughs> he he jumped. Perk. He jumped off the top of the stairs, landed on top of the flagpole, uh, went into the castle, and got nine got two thousand points. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, Mario reference. Uh, he went for the top prize. He commissioned a podcast, which is something anyone can do. We'll watch two to three hours of content of whatever you want us to do. It could be a movie. It could be a couple episodes of your favorite television show. Uh, Joel had a curated anthology of Metalocalypse he wanted us to watch. We did it. We did a uh, podcast. You can get that on baldmove.com. A good time was had by all. Uh, there's been talk of making you watch Princess Bride as a commissioned podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finally, finally bring you into the fold. 20 years, and I have not seen that movie. Plus, it's you get this thing... Where if it's been a long enough time, you take like a perverse pride <laughs> in having not seen it's it. Like the, it's like it's it's kind of not as douchey, but in the same neighborhood as the people that say you love to say when someone starts talking about. Oh, Fargo, I saw that. In the oh, beginning. I Fargo. I haven't seen that. I, I don't. I haven't owned a television since 1993. Oh, you know, okay, it's like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like it's like oh oh you seen it? Oh, I don't get that reference. I've never seen that movie. Uh, you could bring him. You could bring. You could take that. You could steal that from Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah, the thing is, I do know almost everything about that movie, because my friends quote it. Look at this pitiful defense he's making. He's, he's, yeah. he's desperate, yeah, desperate right. not to watch Princess Bride. He's you're clinging, right. clinging, to, <laughs> clinging to these... Uh, hey, I gotta do what I can do, right? So anyway, Preserve this was supposed chastity. to be an advertisement for subbable.com slash bald move, where you can go as a voluntary subscription site, and you can uh, pledge... Money to keep us making podcasts like Fargo, like 24 Live Another Day, like Metalocalypse. Uh, it's easy, it's quick, and it helps us create the content that you enjoy. 
Uh, if you're not down with that, if you shop on Amazon, you can always go to Amazon.BaldMove.com. It's a free way to give us money. You shop on Amazon anyway. We get a little uh, cut of that. And if nothing else, really appreciate the rates and reviews on iTunes. That's what helps us attract more listeners and get a bigger audience and presumably more support. So all those very valuable ways. Uh, thank you for listening and downloading and participating feedback. That's also yeah. a great way to support. Um, and we're having a ball. So that's it. Um, go to baldmove.com to get all of our great content, including our affiliates like the Personal Arrogance and the Picasso Show and Up Yours Downstairs. Oh, next week, starting, because we're terrible at self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Trying to get better. Next week, I'm starting an Orange is the New Black podcast for Season 2. We'll have a preview cast a little later. Jim's not joining me on this. Instead, I'm having a rotating cast of women, all different backgrounds, all different ages. Um, and they're but they're the kind of all star. We got uh, all been to women's prison. All no, been. I'm kidding. They currently are in women's prison. Yeah. Uh, we got Amy from the Bacaw Show, uh, sister show of ours. We got Kelly from Up Yours Downstairs. Uh, we got Pilani, who's a frequent. If you listen to the Bacaw Show, you know she's a frequent feedbacker commenter and contributor uh we got nina perez from project fandom uh who has uh, several successful podcasts of her own uh it's going to be a rotating cast i've actually got a preview cast coming out that's got like four of them actually on that's a lot of fun that's going to be dropping probably tomorrow uh, and we'll have the next podcast out by thir- next thursday it's all of orange and new black like all the netflix stuff drops in a single day yeah uh, it's this friday june the 6th so we'll have the first episode ready to cover by next Thursday. Uh, hope to see you there. It's a great show. Uh, some some say it's arguably even better than House of Cards, which we're huge fans of. Hmm. Don't make your stink face. You've never seen. You can't judge. House of Cards is really good, man. It is really good, but so is Orange is the New Black. Do they have Freddy's ribs in Orange is the New Black? Because if not, I'm not sold. They don't, but they have a lot more nudity, female nudity. <laughs> Ribs or nudity? Mm, man, that is that a, is a, that is a tough choice. That is a toss-up. If you were a uh, a Laura Prepon fan from the '70s show, might choose the nudity over the ribs. Maybe so. Let us turn our male gaze towards feedback, shall we? Sure. Uh, short but sweet. Andrew T had a take on Facebook. Uh, he said this scene involving the thirty-second wordless st- um, scene of of uh, Lester gazing upon Lorne. Yeah. Yeah said this is the I sold my soul and now I have to pay up moments and the tape that Lorne has of Lester is going to be the contract. Could be. Could be. That's definitely coming That's back something we've life. definitely mentioned over and over, the one piece that links him uh completely to Lorne. Is that recording? Dave from New York, early in the season uh the pilot, I think. I might have been the pilot. Might have been the second episode. What happened? Gus looks across the way into the home of an ortho- the Orthodox Jewish family, and the lady mm. of the house gets more than friendly with them, untying a robe and exposing herself in her underwear. Eventually, we meet Episode her husband, two. but nothing much ever becomes of this exchange. Now that we're a year later, are we to believe that that past was a one-time thing? What's the point of incorporating it into the episode if they weren't going to run with it? I keep thinking about Chekhov's gun, and this certainly is an example of a rifle that has still not been fired. Your thoughts? I do not think that that is going to be significant at all. I feel like it's another thing that they use to set the tone. Yeah. That Gus was a lonely person um, and kind of inept and that the neighbor lady was a, was lonely, which is surprising because it seems like the Orthodox Jewish rabbi, bar mitzvah tank guy, mm-hmm. is a decent dude. Um, 
maybe he's one of those dudes where he spends more time giving back to his community than his family. You know, that happens quite a bit. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. I also have a question about whether we are how far away are they are they living in duluth or and commute and she's commuting but bemidji because yeah. in real life that's a two hour 45 minute drive that's a long commute that's like a new york new jersey commute yeah <laughs> um less traffic probably yeah but less subways too but i couldn't tell <laughs> less if they trains were, i couldn't tell if they because the reason that i'm confused is because i was fairly certain that gus when he made the phone call to invite her to the logging festival mm-hmm. their their date that he was sitting around the king's driveway because they had the very distinctive stand of pines. It and the seemed fence. like it. Yeah, I'm and, with you. And then when we 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 kind of panned over to what I thought was going to be Lauren's sniper rifle, end up just being a flash forward to the future in the jeep. It seemed like he was driving on that same road. That's how they framed it. Yeah. And the king we know lives in Duluth, mm-hmm. but we know also Molly's still rocking the Bemidji police force. So yeah, and, and it could be that Jays don't care. They don't think that people are going to Google Maps this stuff, so we yeah. assume it's a 30-minute commute, but I, I don't know. I really don't know either. Um, Maybe they'll explain more If he's moved to Bemidji, episodes. then there's no effing way that there, that is going to be significant, and it's just going to be something sure. that sets a tone or maybe tells us about the characters, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. So we'll see if it's Chekhov's, uh, Chekhov's underwear or not. Yeah, and he was living in apartments before, right? He's definitely no, moved. No, that's a townhouse, which could or a, I like, thought it, it could was, be a condo slash apartment. But I thought it was multi floor apartments, and he was looking What's through the that in a townhouse. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess a townhouse, townhouse, is apartment, a condo, it's whatever. It's but he's definitely living in a house now. Is my point certainly? But it could be. I can't tell the difference between the. Uh, I so, could. I mean, if he's in the same s- town, I I guess. But he's moved. I assume he doesn't have contact with his neighbor anymore. If like, he's moved, we don't know. If he's moved. She, she could be shacking up in his townhouse. Is what my point was. That's not a townhouse, man. How? How That's do you know that? a house house. How? Because he pulls up in his in his postal truck and goes inside we see that it's a house the outside yeah oh wow i didn't see that okay well then yes he has not. moved definitely he's, then he's probably in bemidji and okay. he's just driving i guess every i assume road, so yeah every road in minnesota outside the major <laughs> cities looks like stands of pines and white ranch fence or whatever sure uh moving on to spencer from kansas city i thought this was one of the best episodes of the season a couple of thoughts my impression from reading through Fargo discussions on the internet is that many people think Key and Peel are merely there for comedic value. Although it's fairly obvious in this episode that these two will end up working with Molly. Agreed. Glancing that photo when the board fell obviously dug up a lot of emotion in them, and if they were to inquire as to the status of the case, I'm sure they'll find that a cop from Bemidji calls at the time saying she has information on the man in the photograph. Hmm. We talked about this cast. What we didn't talk about is how likely is it that you're just going to put a cork board over a picture that you taped on the wall? Definitely not very. And that's the first thing I thought when I saw that. <laughs> Super dumb. But, you know, plot contrivances I as have they worked are. At a company that was so stupid that you could not hang your own whiteboard up. Oh, God. There was some union thing where you could buy the whiteboard. You could order a whiteboard. You had to pop it up until maintenance came through and do it. And I believe <laughs> if they if they lived, worked in a situation similar to that, that a maintenance department would do something like that. So sure. maybe that's what happened. Government workers. They're FBI. Yeah, they're like, yeah, hey, there's a picture on the wall. I didn't say nothing about taking down no picture, boys. Put up the cork board. <laughs> Put up the cork board. <laughs> That's an interesting accent to use. Uh, let's move on. It's also been speculated that Odin Kirk's character is just getting scammed by the Nigerian kid. Nah. 
Uh, I was going to have to flee, we flee, talked about flee it. to Omaha to start up a Cinnabon branch. That's where he's going with this. <laughs> Could be. Um, anyway, he said it said that he recognized that, that he gave the same reason we talked about. So there's a little bit of dry pie involved here. Yeah. Um, he does bring it around because I think this is foreshadowing for two different events. One, which we've already seen the story told involved looking everywhere for something only to find it by accident out of town. In Lester's case, he's always looking over his shoulder for Lorne or the police when he's at home, and he randomly bumps into Lorne in Las Vegas when he's trying to get laid. Mm-hmm. The other thing it's foreshadowing is that Molly will catch the big break in his case when she goes to Fargo to visit with the FBI guys. Um, so, yeah, we got we yeah. talked about that. Sure. And he also speculates that uh, she's going to go into labor because at the look of it, she's at least 16 months pregnant. And 16 she will months run- is four Sixteen months. Sixteen. He's making a joke. <laughs> I thought he was Unless, saying sixteen weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Elephants gestate for twenty-two months. But she's not an elephant. <laughs> and she will run into either Mister Wrench or Starv Starv Starvos as a result. What? Wrench is not still in the hospital. Why oh, is she man. gonna? Yeah, he's gonna stay there. He's <laughs> Why is she gonna to run leave. into? Why would she run into either of them? I don't know. It's a year later. If if Wrench is still in the hospital a year later, handcuffed to a bed, he's afraid to leave. <laughs> I okay. Moving on, Julie from Chi Town, Midwest representing this week at Kansas Boom. City and Chi Town. Uh, the Sudanese kid is totally not a kid and definitely not who Bill thinks he is. This is a pro scam. <laughs> he doesn't scam. look like a kid, yeah. <laughs> the Patriot Act was mentioned when Molly was talking to the FBI, so I'm going to call it now. He's a terrorist. Oh, what? We know how good Bill is at making up stories for other people. Just a crackpot theory of mine. That is the crackiest pot. Yeah, I've that's heard any... the biggest crack in the biggest pod. This is Coffee Theory 5.0 territory, Julie. <laughs> but we'll see. I don't know. He's not there, but there could be something not quite I, I would just, about the kid. Sure. I would just, like, what of the kid's story and the kid's demeanor tells you that he's a terrorist? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's the leap that I'm not catching. But okay. All right. We'll see if that plays out. Um, he's a Somali pirate. Hey, he could be a pirate. He's there gonna, we go. Uh, he's going to take over the. Uh, Bill's going to buy a boat timeshare. The There's a grocery. The name of the grocery store. I was thinking it's King's Grocery, but it's not. It's There's like Phoenix like Farm. Phoenix or Farms, something. Yeah. He's going to commandeer a Phoenix <laughs> Farm. Tom Hanks. Oh, Colin Hanks gets taken hostage by him. They have to send in a team of Navy SEALs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's nominated for a horseshit Oscar. Bill Done deal. Bill buys a boat timeshare <laughs> and the Somali <laughs> pirate That's what he's there jumps for. in it. That yeah, yeah. He's there to convince Bill to buy a boat timeshare. Yeah, the police <laughs> the police took his boat share as evidence. <laughs> And and Bill's kind of corrupt, kind of stupid, so he's using that. He's, uh-huh. You know, Minnesota's land of lakes. He's going fishing. He likes his fishing as much as the next man, maybe more than the next ten men. Probably by his office. Yeah, and that's the the Somalis got wind of it. He's going to branching out, pirate the lakes. You, you of can't Minnesota. just take over oil tankers. The whole he's gonna, <laughs> yeah, the ten thousand lakes of Minnesota. He's going to yep. tear on the low seas. Uh, so look for that in episode nine. <laughs> You want to send us more of that stuff, send it to Fargo at BallMove.com. You can always join our weekly threads on the show and the podcast itself on Facebook.com slash BallMove. Get at Jim on Twitter at BallMove. And that's it. I'm out. All right. See you guys next week. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Bye.